Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecino, presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker's here. It is June 30th. It's not even July 1st. We haven't even reached the new league year yet. And here we are. Half the league has changed teams. I don't even know what to do at this stage. My body has, like, my brain has somehow collapsed uh, into a pool of nothingness. I was, like, trying to, like, figure out Jimmy Butler uh, permutations for Houston. Uh, and meanwhile, it was Miami the whole time. Uh, so like that threw me off and trying to figure out how that was going to go down was crazy. Uh, then we have the D'Angelo Russell thing that just broke. Hilariously, I got like a message about that. This is how crazy today was. I got a message about D'Angelo Russell thing and the Warriors, like trying to reach out to the Nets about this. I would say probably around five o'clock, something like that. And I was like, nah, there's no way this is going to happen. It's too crazy. There's no way the Warriors are going to hard cap themselves like that. Here we are, four hours later, dealing with D'Angelo Russell to the Warriors. Cole, that, none of those deals were even the biggest deal of the day with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving officially becoming members of the Brooklyn Nets. It feels like a lifetime ago. How are you doing? I only have one question for you. What the fuck just happened overall? I, I It was just... I've never experienced a day like that before. I was expecting, you know, we usually have our early agreed upon deals. Maybe we get some heavy hitters, a couple of those contracts today. And it was just the floodgates, man. We got Durant, Kyrie, and that was like, holy shit. And then that wasn't even (laughs) scratching the surface of what materialized later. So I'm for a while, I was like legitimately in shock. The Warriors trade just completely knocked me off balance. Well, the the thing that I think threw it all off and like created just the like stampede that happened was Kevin Durant deciding today. Most people that I had spoken with kind of thought it would go into Monday or Tuesday, but he just decided, you know what, I'm going to do this at six o'clock, right as it breaks, and then Woj broke it even before uh, six o'clock Eastern time. So by that time, teams had the ability to move on to their you know second option. Maybe their second option, or maybe uh, another team moving on to a second option allowed uh, a team to get its first option, right? Like Miami uh, gets Jimmy Butler, maybe in part because Jimmy Butler decides to not try and go with Kevin Durant somewhere, right? So it was just like a crazy set of events that uh, I think was all set in motion by Kevin Durant deciding to announce uh, on June 30th as opposed to on July 2nd. Yeah, which just set off a completely wild chain of events and some of these contracts, some of the signings are just kind of unreal. Like Apparently we rediscovered sign-in trades, so it was like Cap Dork's dream. I remember it seemed like a week ago this morning we were kind of, a couple of us were working through some of the permutations on Boston and how they would get other teams involved and be able to keep Horford, go over the cap and all of that, and that seems like a lifetime ago. Well, yeah, like I was thinking about writing a thing on Jimmy Butler and like how he'd get to Houston and how I hated it for Houston if they were going to try and chase Jimmy Butler just because they would have three guys locked in for 113 million, then have 25 million to set out and fill 10 spaces, right? So here we are now. Miami ends up with Jimmy Butler. They give up quite a bit. I 
understand why they did that, but we'll talk about him later on, I guess. Uh, the Warriors one is just fascinating. I want to say that the number coming into today was four. Uh, there had been four sign and trades executed prior to today under the new collective bargaining agreement, which if I remember correctly, went into effect in 2015, correct? Summer of 2016 was the first one? Yes. So yeah, in that entire time until today, there were four sign and trades. I want to say Danilo Gallinari was one of them. Um, there were three others. And here we are today. Uh, we went to sign and trade heaven and so many potential possibilities that people weren't even considering coming into today or, you know, maybe a month ago, let's say two weeks ago, ended up coming to fruition just because teams were a lot more willing to get creative. I think that, uh, above all, what today signaled to me was teams are getting better at manipulating the collective bargaining agreement. Teams are getting, teams have figured out, uh, more ways to be creative teams, smart teams are employing smarter people to figure out ways to gain competitive advantages. And then teams that, uh, don't have that kind of creativity are getting left by the wayside. Yeah. And I mean, you have to card carve out marginal advantages in the NBA. It's very hard to do that. So any advantage you can gain, uh, 2017 was the new CBA. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that some of the subtleties of the CBA have been kind of passed over. They try to correct some rules, make things easier to understand. That's yeah. also helped. Like, they calculate maxes differently now. We don't have those loopholes to where you can, you know, about team salary floor and teams making money by claiming players. So they've tried to cut a lot of that stuff out. It's just kind of surprising to see just a barrage of <laughs> the sign-and-trade elements to this. Like, usually when you're talking about multi-team trades, it's very unrealistic to actually complete, and we see that work out with you know, Jimmy Butler right now and how those teams are struggling. Mavericks are apparently out of that deal. It's very hard and very convoluted to get multi-team trades. And we actually had a tweet by Woj saying like they were working on a three-team sign and trade. It was like, holy shit. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Boston understood that like, okay, this is our best avenue. And I'm sure that they tried to reach out. But if you're Brooklyn, like Boston legit would have had to give me two first round picks worth of value, something like that, right? It's just not worth it for them to go down that road with Boston, I feel like. It's like they would be helping their divisional rival uh, potentially keep Al Horford, who would be able to guard Kevin Durant in the playoffs. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that we probably... So like, I think the best way to do this is maybe go team by team, right? Uh, At least among the teams that like were important within the structure of today. And I think that Obviously, the place we have to start is Brooklyn. Uh, To me, right now, uh, Brooklyn is the team that is set up best for the future. Obviously, with Kevin Durant out this season, uh, they will not be the favorite to win the championship. But between Durant, Kyrie, and the younger guys that they have, like Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, you know, who else? Joe Harris is on that team. Spencer Dinwiddie's on that team. Uh, Musa and Kuroks are on that team. Like, there are actually a lot of really interesting pieces. Torian Prince is on that team. They're actually pretty set in terms of having guys that have trade value, guys that have movable contracts, or just, in Karis Levert's case, like, a guy that's going to be a flat-out fucking future all-star. So... I look at the Nets and what they have accomplished today and think that this is going to be the team that uh, is probably in the best position going forward in the NBA. Uh, With all apologies to the Lakers now having Anthony Davis and LeBron James. (laughs) And all of that could change tomorrow if Kawhi decides to sign with the Lakers. 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an argument. It, of course, depends on Durant's health. If he comes back healthy, they're going to be very formidable moving forward. I, I like the point you made about tradable contracts. They have really interesting young talent, some guys on good deals. Dinwiddie, for example, can be aggregated with, say, Karis LeVert for a third star. There's a lot of flexibility. And, of course, we saw Durant and Kyrie, both of them took a little bit less than the max to get DeAndre Jordan on the team. Four years, $40 million. That's not a great contract. But if that was the price to pay of getting Durant and Kyrie, you're obviously doing that every time yeah no question i mean here is the question um let's discuss this uh oh wow so tim cato just said actually uh that the entire uh like three-way part of the dallas or at least the dallas part of miami and philadelphia's deal for jimmy butler is off so this is yep you know now now we're just going crazy with it um so let's just talk (laughs) Let's talk about Brooklyn. Brooklyn, in terms of the way that these pieces fit together, I think that they have an incredibly modern construct. They also signed DeAndre Jordan and gave DeAndre Jordan just an obscene amount of money. Um, Did you think DeAndre Jordan was going to get more than the room exception to that? No, no, no. When this first got reported, I was like, okay, obviously Durant and Irving coming for their max amounts. And I was like, okay, DeAndre for the minimum or something. That's fine. I mean, I watched a lot of DeAndre last year. He was not good. Um, he's This is not a good contract for him. But yeah, I thought maybe Max, he'd get a room exception with another team potentially. It was it was definitely an overpay. Yeah, it's like a real question, like how much of this was DeAndre just not giving a shit last year um, and kind of conserving himself versus... You know, now he'll be on the Nets and he'll get to play with Kyrie, gets to play with Spencer Dinwiddie as actual guards that can get him the ball. Uh, I mean, like he had that last year, though. So it's yeah, this is not a great it's not a great deal. But I also don't think it's going to matter in the grand scheme of things, because, I mean, he's one of Kevin Durant's best friends. He's going to be on the team. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's not like this is a deal that's going to hinder them long term. And all of the money came from. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It didn't come from uh, other avenues, like other exceptions. Uh, This is essentially just the tax for getting Kyrie and Kevin Durant, it felt like. Yeah, because they got the room exception and they got Garrett Temple, which I thought was subtly a pretty nice pickup for them, a defensive wing. I have pretty... I have pretty big concerns about their ability to guard long term as far as, you know, Kyrie, DeAndre's not himself anymore, Durant, like Joe Harris. They have a lot of offense first guys, and that's kind of how the Nets are attacking modern age of basketball. Obviously, offensively, they're going to be really good. Let's see how they felt the rest of the roster, but clearly a huge win for them and just their reputation in the league. I mean, they got Durant, they got Kyrie, not the Knicks. Like they've yeah. established themselves in the past couple of years as the basically the power in that area and them getting these two premier free agents is obviously a huge boon for that. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm not as worried about the defense as long as Kevin comes back like at 90% of Kevin Durant, because Durant is a very good defender, especially in the playoffs when he has to be. Um, Jared Allen is slowly, but surely becoming a very good high end defender in today's league, I think Harris LeVert at some point will be fine as a defender. And again, I just think that they have enough flexibility with the rest of their roster to where they're going to be able to make the moves for defenders if they find that 
this structure of the team doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the the main point for me is the flexibility point as far as being able to add to this. They have they still have assets. They still have ammunition to go out and surround these guys with maybe a third star, or break it down into two high level role players on a, on a winning construct team. So they they definitely have flexibility overall, and, and to do that and have that flexibility, I mean they're going to get a pick from Charlotte, right? As far as the sign and trade goes, or is, no, that's sorry, that's Boston. I'm getting Boston. convoluted here, <laughs> but uh. Like for overall, I mean, they still maintained a lot of their assets and were able to bring in two premier free agents. That's that's hard to do usually. So let's let's go to the team that Kevin Durant came from, right? Like I think we've talked enough about how Brooklyn is in just an incredibly enviable position now. I mean, where would you project them? We'll finish on this. Where would you project them to finish in the East this year? Oh, that's really tough, obviously, without KD. I would definitely expect them to make the playoffs. I think the Kyrie can get them there, and they have the offensive firepower. I don't think they're in the elite tier as far as even maybe even with Boston. I think they're a step down. I'd have to go through and look at all the moves, but playoff team to me, lower-level playoff team. So what? We've got Milwaukee ahead of them this year, Toronto. Yes, we'll see what happens with Kawhi. Like that's ultimately the biggest question here. Um, what Boston, I did what I have Boston ahead of them. I would, I think I would with Ke- with Kemba. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. Um, Indiana is in a very interesting position. I think I would probably say they're about on the level with Indiana. Okay. Yeah. I think Philadelphia, I would put ahead. Um, you know, I, yeah. I would that, have Philadelphia it, it, number one. So yeah. Yeah, in the regular season especially, I think Philadelphia is going to be just a total nightmare for opposing teams. In the playoffs, I have some questions which we'll get to, but Miami getting potentially getting Jimmy Butler, maybe that vaults them. I think that Brooklyn maybe like five or six, four, five, six range maybe. Yeah, I think that that's right. Let's move to Golden State. So Golden State loses Kevin Durant. They signed Klay Thompson to this five-year, $190 million contract in free agency. Uh, the Athletics' Anthony Slater just reported it, no no trade clauses, no player options. It's just a flat five one ninety, or not a flat, but a normal five one ninety. Um, to replace Kevin Durant, I had gotten a text earlier in the day, like I said, that like the Warriors were considering going down the road of getting D'Angelo Russell, and it felt weird to me. I didn't shoot you a note about it. I actually shot Danny LaRue a note about it. Cause I was like, he might need to know this just in case, like he needs to start coming up with like permutations of how this could look. Um, what was your initial reaction when you heard from Shams that D'Angelo Russell was going to Golden State? I mean, it came out of nowhere for me. Like there was no pre-existing context. I didn't really have a tip or anything like that. So it was just pretty surprising. Cause I mean, all day we've heard, you know, we saw Carl Anthony Towns' tweet. It's like the, the Timberwolves are looking for a place to move Andrew Wiggins to clear up this cap space. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, the Warriors are potentially interested in the sign and trade for D'Angelo. And I feel like five minutes later, it was like, this is the actual deal that's being done. So I was pretty shocked. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised that it got done. What do we think of the fit? Because that's ultimately my biggest concern at this stage is what is the fit here? Um Obviously, they're going to be without Clay Thompson for at least a while this year. So I think that like just playing D'Angelo Russell and Steph Curry uh, together will work, uh, basically totally. Uh, I don't really see a way where that doesn't work. I worry about like just getting everyone shots once Clay Thompson gets back because Clay is just such an incredibly uh, important piece. And people talk about like Clay not getting like being comfortable not getting shots, but same token like. 
you would rather Clay Thompson get open shots coming off of screens than just, you know, D'Angelo Russell taking what, uh, six dribbles and then taking a pull-up mid-range jumper, right? Because that, that's what D'Angelo does, and it's fine. It was effective for Brooklyn this year. But where, where are you on the fit here, both in the short term and the long term? Because I do have some questions. Yeah, I definitely have questions, and a lot of them are on the defensive end. I mean, parting with Iguodala, maybe that was the necessary price, but he was their best perimeter defender on the ball last year. And I think that losing him is a real bitch. And you replace him with D'Angelo Russell, putting next to Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson. Clay's obviously a great on-ball defender. But you're sacrificing some of that perimeter size for offensive firepower. To me, it just I don't really know what the deal means. Is it like a talent grab? They were like, okay, we need to you know get more star power for this new building, and we're going to get this kind of you know score. We get more off-the-dribble shot making, and we get some youth on this team. Maybe we, this is the natural kind of transition period. I don't know if they re-sign Draymond long-term. We'll kind of see how that plays out. But I just don't know what it really means. Like, what, what are they really trying to accomplish here? So, uh, yeah, I have a take on that. So, obviously, this correlated with an Andre Iguodala trade as well. Uh, anytime you acquire a player via a sign-in trade, you are then hard-capped at the apron uh, for that entire season. And the apron is $138 million. Uh, basically, the Warriors would have been within $3 million of the apron uh, if they didn't trade Andre Iguodala, uh, and they would have had to fill out a roster that would have made it totally impossible to fill to get a full roster signed at the end of the day. So um, they trade Andre Iguodala to Memphis. So the idea here is going to be Memphis uh, gets a first round pick for taking Iguodala. The Warriors now have, I want to say like five and a half million dollars or so with 12 players signed and uh, or no, it's with 13 players signed and Kevon Looney just like hanging out out there right now. Um, in free agency. So what my question now is, or what I think the Warriors are doing here, I guess, as I lose my train of thought, just trying to think through all of this madness. I think that by trading Andre Guadalla, they're not necessarily punting on this year, but I think they realize that they're taking a step back behind the main contenders in the West this year. And I think that they signed D'Angelo Russell to trade him a year, like a year from now. And I think that by doing that, they essentially are trying to set up for the at least Steph and Clay long term uh, situation in Golden State. My guess is that, yeah, probably Draymond Green is there and they probably extend him, but it'll probably have to be on their terms and not his terms. Yeah, I'm with all of that. That was my initial thought. Obviously, the mechanics of it make sense. I mean, they have to do certain moves. They had to trade somebody because they had to fit it underneath the the hard cap and make the trade legal. But for me, it was more just the incentive. And I agree. I think it's probably best construed as a talent grab almost. And it was an opportunity to get, you know, a young 23-year-old all-star. And maybe they thought that, you know, they're not, they're not going to have the cap space to do it otherwise so why not just have it as an asset grab I, I don't i just don't know if they're viewing that through that prism or if it's like we think that d'angelo russell is going to be an integral piece next to clay and steph I, I think that's a little bit more of a difficult sell considering you know resource allocation both steph and clay now on max contracts it would make sense to me i guess 
if you view D'Angelo still on a max contract as like a value play, a lot of teams probably would have signed him to a max. But once you do that as a team, I, th- I feel like that you lose value with that. You know what I mean? Because now you have to part with an asset to get D'Angelo, who's already on a max. So you're giving up more. Right. But I think like Minnesota or someone like that would probably just be willing to give up the asset. You know what I mean? Like, I totally understand what you're saying. And I think that for the most part, you're right. But like, there's still going to be teams out there that are like, okay, well, where the fuck else are we going to get a guy like D'Angelo Russell? You know what I mean? Because like a lot of these teams, they just don't play in free agency. And now the Warriors can dictate where D'Angelo goes on their terms. Yeah, to an extent, I agree. But then why, if, if Minnesota was really interested, and I don't know for sure if they were, why wouldn't they give up a pick then to get rid of Wiggins to sign Russell then? Uh, maybe the cost was too high. I just don't know what Warriors are really going to get realistically as far as a high value play that can contribute to winning trading D'Angelo's max contract. Like I do think there'll be suitors, but will there be suitors that are going to give the Warriors something of actual real value that can help them win? Well, I think a big part of it, though, is just getting that $27 million salary spot, too. You know what I mean? Like, it would have been hard for them to get that if they end up maxing out, uh, or if they end up giving Draymond Green real money, plus they have Clay Thompson, plus they have Stephen Curry. Like, it's just hard for them to get that $27 million worth of salary that they can take back in a trade back without dipping beneath the salary cap by trading one of those three guys again. You know what I mean? No, 100%. I think that's definitely right. They saw opportunity to grab an asset, and yeah. I get that part completely. I'm just more – like, for me, it's more about that second step. It's about, okay, how do we actually flip him if that is indeed the plan for something of value? I, I get grabbing it now because you can, and you're not going to have cap space, so that makes a little bit of sense to me. I don't really agree necessarily with the cost, but it, it's a very complex situation because a lot of different factors have to play out. What I'm most curious about, though, is if the Warriors really do feel like D'Angelo is going to be an integral piece for them moving forward. I, there's, there hasn't been enough. Nobody really knows for sure. You can speculate, but that would be a really curious decision. So... Let's kind of move into the next piece here. I mean, like, they lose Andre Iguodala. Their roster right now, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, D'Angelo Russell, Draymond Green, Alfonso McKinney, Jacob Evans, Damian Jones, Jordan Poole, Eric Paschal, Shabazz Napier, Trevion Graham, Alan Smalajic, assuming Smalajic doesn't just get stashed in the G League again. I mean, that's, that's not a title contender, probably, I would say, right? Even let's even say that Clay Thompson comes back at 80 percent for the playoffs. I don't think so. No, I I think there's better teams in the West, Houston, Utah. It's just really tough. We already saw the limitations of the Warriors depth. We'll see what they do in the rest of free agency, how they maneuver around. I think they deserve some benefit of the doubt as far as their ability to fill the roster, even though it's going to be challenging. I'm kind of curious to see how they go about doing that. But it's hard to have a lot of confidence in them as the favorite just because, again, losing Durant, losing Clay for most of the season without that depth. And you basically replace D'Angelo with those guys. Obviously, they're not going to be nearly as good. One thing that would be really interesting to me is I wonder if they move guys like Damian Jones and Jacob Evans to get minimum players in order to dip below the luxury tax because they have to be so close to the luxury tax anyway just because of where they are at the apron and they're paying such a heavy repeater tax now. I wonder if they use this year to try and dip just slightly below the tax. They could. I mean, that's going to be a squeeze if they want to 
get competitive. But I agree. Maybe they look to move some of these on the margins players that aren't really going to help them next year. I guess that would make some sense. There's a lot of different directions they could go. And obviously, it's it's hard to predict. I didn't predict this. So they could go <laughs> different, different directions for sure. Yeah, still a good team. Anytime that you have Stephen Curry on your team, yep. uh, you are going to be in contention to win 50 games. Uh, just a very different team, and I will be interested to see where it goes from here. Uh, man, let's see. Where, where can we bounce to? We hit Golden State. Let's bounce from there to Boston, maybe? Um, Boston had a weird kind of set of events early in the day where they obviously signed Kemba Walker after losing Kyrie Irving. Within the Kemba Walker deal, though, it looks like they're going to complete a sign-in trade involving Terry Rozier, uh, who will go to Charlotte for a three-year, $59 million contract. Oh, boy. Um, Let's talk about Boston before we get to Charlotte's part of that. I think that they have done as well as they possibly could have after losing Kyrie Irving and thus deciding to move on at least initially from Al Horford, there was some speculation that they might try and jump back in after they found a way to stay over the cap and potentially keep Al. But I mean, man, th- that this part of it is real tough because uh, I think Boston has done about as much well as they possibly could have and still is in a place where they are a worse team than they were. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that synopsis. And Kemba's fucking awesome he's a great player he's gonna fill a lot of what Kyrie did he's not quite as good as Kyrie in my opinion as far as peak value but very very good you losing Al Horford really hurts their team I mean he was a huge part of both their offense and their defense their ball movement their floor spacing just a lot of dynamics there so that's that's a tough hit but I I do think they rebounded well and they're another team maybe not well but good enough like I think they did about as well as they could have in this situation Another one of those teams that you didn't really know what direction they were going to take. They were kind of at a crossroads with Kyrie leaving and whatever went down with Horford as far as their negotiations, he ended up walking away. And you said, okay, are they going to build around Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown? Are they going to go in that youth trajectory? And then they ended up picking up Kemba. So now they kind of have those alternate timelines again. They have Kemba and Hayward, you know, Marcus Smart more advanced players in in different age groups and then they still have their young guys so it's really curious but i do think they at least have with stevens with kemba they have enough you know quality players to i think they're a playoff team they're still going to be competitive and their younger players can develop in a more competitive environment i think that's important yes i i agree with you on that part of it uh, that their young players are going to be in a really interesting spot. I will be interested to see what they do at center. Uh, is there potential that they try and like, it's hard for them to match the money to get to Steven Adams now. Uh, like, do they try and get involved like on that level for a center or do they just try and go cheap with like an Ennis Cantor who I guess met with them today? Uh, I mean, like, what would you do if you were Boston at center? Because I feel like that is actually kind of an integral part of their defense in the way that they build it. Yeah, it all depends on the price point. And, you know, Stephen Adams would be a get, I think, but that's going to be hard to aggregate the salary. There's just not a clear fit on the board to me. I haven't really canvassed the entire league as far as looking for trades for them, but there's not really a clear guy that say, go get him. Like Capella would help a little bit. I think they could be interested in that potentially, but I don't think Capella is like a move piece and Houston's probably going to want something in return if they even were willing to move him now because they're not going to get Jimmy Butler. So a lot of dynamics at play. I, I, I do think the Horford thing really does set them back though. He was really, really interesting to them 
Yeah, we'll talk about Al here in a minute because we should move to Philadelphia. But before we do that, uh, we got to talk about Charlotte just real quick because otherwise it's just hard to bounce to them. What the fuck? Like, what? what yeah, is... I... <laughs> they have a chance to actually, like, reasonably clear their books over the course of the next, like, year to two years. And instead of doing that, they decide to give Terry Rozier $20 million a year. And now they're set back in terms of their books long-term. Like, I, I don't really understand why they keep giving out this long money. I don't, und- and they're going to give up an asset to Boston yes, to get Terry Rozier. I don't think it's going to be like a big asset or anything. It would be fucking hilarious if it was a first round pick. Like I will never stop laughing. Oh my God. But like, I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Like, I think it's going to be maybe like a couple of future second round picks or something, but think about the way that that transaction, I said this on Twitter earlier, but like, think about that transaction and how that's going to look for future like transaction log readers, right? It's going to read Terry Rozier and, or uh, what, Kemba Walker and two second round picks for Terry Rozier. And it's going to read like Charlotte was so enamored with Terry Rozier that they valued him over Kemba Walker. Like any time that you have to go, like just, just think about trades at this level right? Will this make me look stupid to future generations who don't have the context? (laughs) Like, is this a trade that requires such a batshit crazy level of context that, uh, to make me look smart that I, like they're going to have to figure that out on their own trading Terry Rozier and giving up, uh, or trading Kemba Walker and giving up an asset to acquire Terry Rozier within that same trade is just the kind of galaxy brain stupidity that has <laughs> taken over this Charlotte Hornets organization basically since Michael Jordan has been involved. Yeah, and the perception is absolutely brutal. I would understand. I'm not a Rozier guy, but there are smart Boston fans that are like, if you get him in the right context and you have him starting and he knows his role consistently, you have a player. I'd be willing to maybe, if I was a certain team, take a chance on that for like $12 million. But you're paying him $20 million in three years. There's no surplus value in that contract. And you gave up an asset. And you gave up Kemba Walker, who is going to be better than Rozier at any point in Rozier's career. Maybe you didn't want to play Kemba the super max, but you could have just paid him the regular max, potentially. And who knows? I, I It sounds like that bridge was burned when they made the Dwight Howard trade and whatnot. That's the speculation. So I'm not going to get into that part. But the pers- the Hornets here. I, I just don't see. You look at their books, and it's just an absolute fucking nightmare. Down down the list, it's like Nick Batum twenty five, Rozier eighteen four. You know, Biombo seventeen, Martin Williams fifteen, Cody Zeller fourteen four, Kid Gilchrist thirteen million. It's it's just pretty wild, man. Overall, did that is what this has come to and i just don't see any upside in this deal it's like oh we need starting point guard because kemba's leaving so you're gonna pay rosier 20 million a year and surrender an asset for him it just doesn't make any sense yeah i agree with that um the other part of that is like you say there's no upside in this contract for terry rosier there's no real upside in basically anything that the hornets have done in the last little while it's all just keeping things status quo uh such as giving nicola batum what was it like 116 million or something um 
you know, retaining Marvin Williams at $16 million a year or whatever, retaining uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist at $14 million a year. And then you look at their draft uh, history, right? They have this propensity to just take guys that are productive in college that don't have a ton of upside, right? You can go back to Kemba even. He was another one of these guys, and Kemba ended up working out. But Frank Kaminsky, Cody Zeller, Miles Bridges, Malik uh monk uh this year with pj washington like all of these guys and like i'm missing players too um all of these guys are uh highly productive you know college players who were all americans uh either preseason and and were high profile the entire year or postseason all americans after having great seasons as freshmen or sophomores or seniors in frank kaminsky's case and there's just no creativity or upside or imagination there And this is an example of one of those organizations that I was speaking about at the top of the podcast where it's very clear that they have just fallen behind in terms of uh, the way that they go about operating. Yeah, the upside of their roster is really as a middling team. Like if everything goes right, they can be maybe like a sub playoff team if everybody hits. And that's not what you want to build for. You don't want to be there. You have to have more upside on your roster. Somebody has to have the opportunity to break through, become a star. You look at these guys. I really like Miles Bridges. I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. But I don't think he's a star. Like I don't think P.J. Washington is a star even though I like him. I like their draft this year as far as for like getting quality assets, but there's not a lot of upside in it. You just look at the rest of the roster. If you're capped out and you don't have flexibility to alter your players and kind of maneuver guys around, like who has trade value out of these guys? It's a uh, it, it's tough, man. It's just, and, and again, it's it's not just that. It's the the process, the thinking process of okay, let's give a contract to a guy where there's no upside, there's no surplus value, and let's surrender an asset for that. It just doesn't it doesn't compete with me well and if you're charlotte there is value to having cap flexibility beyond just the ability to sign players via free agency right like the best way that they're probably going to be able to do that is to trade for players or to take on you know a team's bad cap deals right like the thing that i said that they should have been trying to do this entire offseason i felt was especially if they were going to take PJ Washington, who is another one of these guys that like I think he's fine. I think he's going to play in the NBA for a decade, but I don't really see there being some like massive upside on him at number twelve. I would have tried to trade number twelve uh, for someone or uh, to like someone like Cleveland for you know Tristan Thompson and or no, I think it was uh, I think the exact deal I said was twelve and Nick Batum for Brandon Knight and maybe Jordan Clarkson or something like that. So you take on a little bit more money this year. You get off of the Batum contract long-term. Cleveland gets a desperately needed high-end draft asset that can be a good lottery pick for them to give them the kind of youth that they need. And then you go and retain Kemba Walker. You give them five years, $190 million or something. Like, think about this. If you believe the reporting from Rick Bunnell or you believe the reporting from uh, even Stephen A. Smith, and like I've talked to people, uh, they offered Kemba Walker less than what Denver just offered Jamal Murray uh, in signing him to his max extension. That is just so infallibly stupid to me. 
it just it's inconsistent too. It's like if you're gonna have this roster, you need Kemba. You need someone who's gonna be the guy. You just can't have a roster where you're capped out. You have no flexibility. And you don't have a star like that. It, it doesn't make any sense just from a team building standpoint. And of course, we see the benefits of having mechanisms to take contracts into cap space, take them into trade exceptions. Look what Memphis has done. You know, getting yep. Iguodala, getting that 2024 pick from the Warriors. That's what you should be doing if you're a team that is. You know, frankly, just doesn't have a lot of upside in your roster. You need to take those kinds of shots, and there's just no flexibility here. Yeah, and, like, I don't know. Like, people were saying Charlotte's going to be in contention for the number one overall pick, and, like, look, the lottery is so flat now that they probably will be on some level. They are not going to be, like, some abject disaster, I don't think, on the floor next year. Uh, I think that they're probably going to win, like, 30 games, which is a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's that's Maybe 25 to 30. I don't think they're in the very basement level, but I do think they're probably closer to that than they are to the group. So, like you said, with the lottery odds flattening out, and who who the hell knows about where you end up in the draft? But uh, yeah, it's it's not a great situation. This is not one of the better situations in the league, and that's being kind. So let's talk about Philly because I think the Philly. I'm not going to lie to you. I think Philly got better today. Uh, Ooh, losing okay. J losing JJ Redick throws me for a loop on that take. But I think there is a real chance they got better today. So the easy part of what they did was retain Tobias Harris and lose J.J. Redick, right? They end up, Jimmy Butler decides he wants to go to Miami, and there's very clearly still some things to work out there, right? Um, Yes. Jimmy Butler gets signed and traded for Josh Richardson. If you would, would you rather have Josh Richardson on 12 million a year or Jimmy Butler on 32 million a year? Uh, Jimmy Butler easily, and I love you Josh would, Richardson. I, I'm, I'm going to make this point in a minute, but Jimmy Butler on this yeah. team. So I think it's close. I will say that. Um, I think I do default with you, but I think it's close. Um, then using the cap space that they got, essentially, uh, because Philadelphia was in this weird place where uh, if the re- part of the reason that they paid so much to acquire Tobias Harris as opposed to trying to go out and get like an auto porter or someone else like that was to retain cap space this summer. And they used the cap space from losing Jimmy Butler and just taking, you know, a third of his money with Josh Richardson to go out and sign Al Horford to a four year, what will start as a $97 million contract and has potential contractual escalators up to 109 million based on what Adrian Wojnarowski reported as championships. uh, If I remember (laughs) correctly. So let's just kind of, I'll just give you the floor. They also retain Mike Scott. But, like, I'll just give you the floor and say, like, where are you now on Philadelphia? Because you seem to think that they are worse now based off of the kind of direction that you've gone so far here. I think it's really complicated because you look at the players they got back. I'm, like, the biggest Al Horford plan, uh, fan on the planet. I love Al Horford. I think he's a great player. I really like Josh Richardson. If you're just talking from a pure talent standpoint, I think you can make the argument that they did fine. I think they did well getting Josh Richardson if Butler was really going to leave. And there's been some reports about Philly never really offered him that fifth year, whatnot. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll there was that a report that they now. didn't even offer him the fourth year, I thought. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Um, so I'll put that aside for now. Here, here's where I get at with Philly. They're really good players, but how the fuck do these guys fit together? I mean, defensively, they're going to be incredible. Like, they're going to be one of the best defensive teams in the league, probably the best, and especially facing a team like Giannis. Can you imagine having Embiid and Horford yes. as, like, your big guys? It's going to be incredible. So I'm, I think I'm with they all beat that. Milwaukee having... in the playoffs next year kind of easily, to be honest right here's now. The, here's, a, here's the thing with me, though, is the other side of the ball. Who the fuck is creating a shot off the dribble? 
Like, who's doing that? Who's an initiator for this team? That was Jimmy Butler. He was the only guy who could right. get his shot off the bounce, who could also make decisions. And, like, now that's going to be Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris. Like, Ben Simmons against better teams in the league. He's he's big. He's not, a, he's not a point guard. He can't shoot off the dribble. He has no gravity. So that's what I look at with this team. And it's like, how are they going to score off the bounce? They have nobody that can get their own shot who can also make a read consistently. And that's a problem. So here is how I would counter that. I think that this team actually has better spacing now than the old 76ers team, despite the fact that they lose J.J. Redick. Uh, they're basically surrounding Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with three shooters now as opposed to two, right? Because Al Horford, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris, they can all shoot, uh, especially Tobias at a high level. Al's going to knock down, you know, pick and pops, dribble handoff and pops, uh, you know, even just spot up shots at like right around a 40% clip. I think that that's going to open the floor for Ben Simmons to get downhill even more than what we've seen so far. And I think that he's going to be able to do that at a better level, even in the playoffs than what he's been able to so far in his career. I look at like, you know, people were talking about how does this fit on offense? I think it actually is going to be okay because they're getting more initiation from their front court with the way that Al Horford operates away from the basket. You can just initiate with Al at the top and you can run dribble handoffs with someone like Ben Simmons, right? You can run dribble handoffs with Josh Richardson. You can, uh, like, if they started running, like, weird 5-4, like, screen and rolls with Joel Embiid and Al Horford, with Horford just, like, popping to the outside... That wouldn't like totally shock me, but having a guy in Horford that can be a genuine guy that can be an above the break three point shooter that defenses have to respect is something that the Sixers haven't had yet uh, to pair with Ben Simmons. Like Mike Scott is more of a corner three point shooter. The way that that is going to morph their offense, I think, is actually pretty substantial. So, yeah, I get the spacing element with Horford above the break. They have great shooting Tobias. Um, Josh Richardson, those guys are dependable outside shooters. They'll have some gravity. I'm still dubious that Horford will have a ton of gravity. Even Milwaukee, when they played them in the series, Milwaukee left him open for pick and pops a lot, and they were like, we're just going to out-efficiency you. And Horford was incredibly efficient on those threes. They just didn't give him any gravity. So you never know how teams are going to scheme, and they might just be willing to give those shots up, even though I don't really agree with it. Here's the thing. It's just still, even if they move the ball really well, they have some great passes on this team, especially with Horford and Simmons. Even if they have the ball movement, the dribble handoffs, they still don't have guys who can really score one-on-one off the dribble. It's just a very unorthodox roster construction. We've never really seen something like this before. Like, they don't have a James Harden. They don't have Kawhi Leonard. They don't have those guys where you're like, go get me a basket off the dribble. As a pull-up threat, putting, you know gravity and putting pressure we talk about point of attack pressure when you bring the ball across the floor like damian lillard starts applying that 35 feet yeah what the sixers did before with was they utilized reddick to generate that pressure because they didn't have that lead ball handler so they ran him off the dribble handoffs now they don't really have that guy to the same extent even that they depreciated there a little bit josh Richardson can shoot off motion he did that a lot with miami but he's not the same caliber shooter as reddick they just don't really have anybody that can warp the floor and create one-on-one off the bounce and i, I think that's going to be a huge limitation maybe i'm coming at this too negatively i just don't see a lot of examples of great teams that don't have like a a more conventional initiator type who can really get their shot off the bounce and create for others there's just not a lot of examples in the modern nba to be sure yeah uh i also will just say though that like i think that their margin for error on offense got greater today because their defense is going to be exceptionally good Like, they're going to have the best defense in the NBA next year. I feel like even with Utah being as awesome as Utah is, which is with their scheme and with their system, I mean, 
it's hard for me to buy that a team with Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Ben Simmons, and Josh Richardson in the starting lineup is not going to be the best defensive team in the NBA. I'm with you on that. I, I do think that the defense is going to be there. The size is incredible. And the mobility, having that 6'10 with Simmons and Horford, nobody really moves like those guys at that size. I mean, the smallest guy in their starting lineup is going to be Josh Richardson at 6'6". They have Zaire Smith coming off the bench, who's a, who plays much bigger than his 6'4 size. So they're going to be huge. That's the whole thing with Philly is like they're very obsessed with size. I just think that they're trading off too much of that you know, for a guy who can just make shots off the bounce. And again, if this works, it's going to be really interesting to follow along with. And I do agree with the increased margin for error. But I do think offensive team still beats good defense consistently. If you pull, if you go against a team, and obviously we're not going to have the Warriors anymore to the same extent, but if you go against a great offense, usually that's going to beat a great defense, especially with the Sixers could really, really struggle to score in the half court. On what level are you concerned about Tobias Harris getting five years, $180 million? Greatly. Very greatly. I, I think that is, is, a, is a, yeah, yeah. That's something that seriously concerns me about their long term kind of flexibility and viability. That was one of the numbers when it just came out and you looked at 5 180. You're just like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. That was one of the contracts that just took you, like, it was noticeably heavy. And I think Tobias Harris is a very good player, but I think this is the classic inefficiency of free agency is you pay some difference making money to non-difference makers. I don't think Tobias Harris is a difference maker. I think he's very good. He's an easy fit on most teams, but you're paying him like he's a star and he's not. Think about, he got a hundred million dollars more than Harrison Barnes. Like he's better than Harrison Barnes. I'm not going to debate that by any stretch he is not literally twice as good as harrison barnes well and we talked about this on the trade deadline podcast when we did that live and we talked about him in relation to Otto porter and like porter is a, like, he's overpaid by a little bit i think he's more of like an 18 to 20 million dollar a year player and he's paying he's getting paid 27 but you rather pay him over the next two years or tobias harris 180 million i think that is and that's the argument against this they surrendered assets to get tobias and you kind of push yourself into a corner when you do that because then tobias gains the leverage because they know you already sacrificed the miami unprotected pick and whatnot and then you double down by giving him 180 million over five years it's just it's kind of a tough sell man yeah the good news is that like they have this roster assuming uh that they end up signing ben simmons to an extension they have this roster set now for four years basically uh that part of it is good uh i think that I will be honest with you. I think they are going to win a title in these next four years. I I, like that is where I'm at with this team. I think that they are this talented. I think that they are this good. Um, I think their starting lineup is probably the best in the NBA right now, unless Kawhi signs with the Lakers. I think they are going to win a title within the next four years, which is going to make this all worth it. And it's going to make Elton brand look like he knew what he was doing. When I have those questions about whether or not he did or not, but I, I wonder what happens if they start to flail a little bit, like in year two. Uh, what happens when the problems come, I guess, is my question. Uh, what happens if Al Horford ages just slightly worse than what I think he will? What happens when um, you know Ben Simmons gets annoyed because he still hasn't learned to shoot and they're struggling to create offense uh, and they take the ball out of his hands? Uh, what happens with, when Joel Embiid is just like, give me the ball in the post and I will score, and instead they run like some sort of, you know, Josh Richardson, you know, off of a pin down from 30 feet to try and score, right? So I... 
I think that this team is just so talented and is so is weirdly like a combination of both modern basketball from a spacing perspective and from like a help defense perspective and from the way that they're going to be able to just really cause issues for opposing teams on that side of the floor, but also like a dinosaur team with the way that they have like four guys over six foot nine in their starting lineup. I think that their talent is so great that they are going to win a title, but there is just real downside here that, you know, might make me look stupid for saying that. <laughs> I don't honestly know what to think long term. I've never seen a team really built like this before. So it's going to be fascinating to monitor. They have a, like to me, they just have a ton of awesome role guys. Like I love Al Horford and like a high level role player, Josh Richardson. I think he's great. If you replace Ben Simmons with like Jimmy Butler on this team, that would make more sense to me because then you would have at least some yeah. creation off the bounce and they're going to max Simmons. And I think Simmons is a great player, but he has his limitations. So that's their core four. They're moving forward with Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Al Horford, Ben Simmons. That's their core four guys. And those guys are all, you know, function more as big men, honestly. And it's a very, very interesting strategy. It's kind of zigging a little bit compared to zagging, whatever with the rest of the league and everybody getting so three point happy with like perimeter shot making, They've, they've gone a different direction. It's going to be really fascinating to see how it works. I just, I, I'm pretty skeptical, man. It's just, when you, when you haven't seen something, and again, for me, decision-making is so important in the playoffs. Having a guy with the ball, we've just seen that time and time again. It's just having guys with the ball who are dynamic and get their shots, have that self-creation gravity, but could also make great decisions. You, like, sometimes you, it can be a big, like, it can be Jokic. None of these guys are Jokic, right? They can't draw a double teams consistently in the post and make you pay instantaneously. It's just, it's going to be one of those test cases, and I, I'm coming down more on this skeptical side I, I like a lot of players on this team like Matisse Thibel in the draft but he's clearly a role player he's a very limited three and D guy so it's just going to be a little bit tougher from I think a shot creation standpoint against better teams especially okay so you just mentioned Tobias Harris is one of the core four when Josh Richardson is not would you rather have Josh Richardson or Tobias Harris yeah, I meant just core four as far as what they're paying them as. I agree. Right. I would rather have Josh Richardson than Tobias Harris easily, especially on these contracts. I'm close. I mean, just like as a player on a basketball floor, I would rather have Josh Richardson. I think Josh Richardson is yeah. better. I think, honestly, I'm, I think I'm with you. It's it's closer to me there just because I do think Tobias is good, but I, I really like Josh Richardson. I've always been a huge fan of his game. The money makes it easy, but yeah, I think it's close yeah. otherwise. Yeah, like, I think that that's part of the reason that, like, I am as high as I am on this team is, like, I think Josh Richardson's really fucking good. Like, I think he I is agree. awesome. Um, all right, let's move to, I don't know, where, where do we want to go next? I guess we could go to Miami. I mean, like, what do we think of Jimmy Butler? It's hard to, like, throw uh, everything into, like, one coherent thought here because we don't know what the <laughs> final iteration of the Jimmy Butler deal is going to be from Miami's perspective. We feel pretty good about what it's going to be from Philly's perspective because they really only have the money now, the salary cap, to take back Al Horford. What do we think of this from Miami's perspective to get Jimmy Butler? I mean, like, I guess that my take is, like, when you can get Jimmy Butler, he's a perfect fit for your core, perfect fit for your culture. You just do it. Uh, like, they're going to be better for this yeah i like the deal i think you get the best player that you can and you try to build around them long term and they try to make additions and of course that's a little harder it'll be easier next summer because some cap space opens up we'll see what happens and who gets moved you know initially it was Dragic, and then that got vetoed by the mavs for cap purposes and then we see kelly olenic and that got vetoed so we'll kind of see how it plays out but just from an overall thirty thousand foot 
perspective, I, I don't mind the deal. I think that Jimmy Butler is clearly a better player than Josh Richardson. You're not going anywhere with the roster you had. It's a, what we talked about with Charlotte. You take upside shots. So you get a guy who can potentially be one of the 10 best players in the NBA at his peak. And I don't know how much longer his peak is going to be, but you at least take a shot here and maybe they can finagle and, and create opportunities to improve the roster. Like who really thought this was going to happen like two weeks ago? Right. So I think it's fine. Uh, at the end yeah. of the day, they're going to be better for this. And like you said earlier in the show, like they're definitely a playoff team now. They're ne- they're almost certainly like a top seven seed in the Eastern Conference. So anytime you can do that, I think you're in good shape. Uh, Milwaukee is probably the next place to go here. They end up retaining Chris Middleton, uh, five years, 178. They retain Brooke Lopez at four years, 52. They sign Robin Lopez, his brother, at uh, basically two years, $10 million, but they lose Malcolm Brogdon, who we'll talk about Indiana in a minute here, but they sign and trade him to Indiana for a first and two seconds. I mean, like, I think that they probably had a number for Malcolm Brogdon and chose not to go over, let's say $20 million a year for Malcolm Brogdon. Um, Overall, they're a little bit worse, I guess. And I do wonder how the Middleton deal ages, but they had to do what they could here to keep Giannis happy, I feel like, and to keep them competing for a title. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there are a lot of political issues, and as well as winning right now. I mean, you look at it, you can make an easy case that the Bucs are, are the favorite to come out of the East, frankly. I mean, it's, it's an easy case to make with the cohesion. I think losing Brogdon is going to hurt a little bit. Uh, you know, four years, you know, over 20, what came out to be like 20 and a half million, 21 million a year. That, that's a hefty price. But maybe you're right. It kind of does sound like that is what happened is they had a firm price, maybe like 480. And then once the Pacers were able to go over that, they were like, screw it. You know, we'll rather sign and trade, even though the difference, if you're already committing this much to Middleton and, you know, Lopez, I thought Lopez was actually a pretty good deal. Um, it was okay. We had the fourth year. We can talk about that. But yeah. it's just like, like the, the five the fourth year for Brooke like, is man. tough. The, the fourth year for Brooke is tough. I'm sure it's not what they wanted, but. At 13 mil a year, I think he's actually probably a little bit underpaid, even by center standards. Um, like Dwight Powell just got $11 million a year, and Brooke Lopez is considerably better, for instance, than Dwight Powell, at least. So, uh, like, Thomas Bryant got $9 million a year. So, uh, if you can get a guy like Brooke Lopez for 13 a year, you do it. I do think that the Middleton deal, much like the Tobias Harris deal, is something that the team had to do but is also something that probably is not going to look super great yeah. uh, by year four. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that, again, that's the inflation of free agency, and you're paying a very, very good player. I love Chris Middleton, very quality player, not so like I. a star. He's not. There's no surplus value in this contract. You're probably overpaying, and, and that's an issue, especially later in the deal, but you had to do it. And I think that's why I look at the Brogdon trade and say, I might have just eaten that and paid Brogdon as well, just so you have that added floor spacing. They were able to bring back George Hill with some cap room, so maybe that wouldn't have been you know, available or feasible with the luxury tax. I just think if you're already going all in with this team, which you clearly are, um, to show Giannis, maybe you just pay Brogdon because you need that shooting. I mean, like down the stretch of the most important basketball of the season for the Bucks, like he was integral when Eric Bledsoe wasn't getting guarded. Uh, now Hill can fill that role a little bit, but I, I thought that Brogdon was just really reliable. It's a clear overpay, so I don't blame the Bucks for for trading him and getting an asset back. I just I look at the situation and say, you know, if it was really about staying under the luxury tax or whatnot, I, I just think you're already committed so much. You, you just go all in. Well, I wonder if the move would be to trade or to sign Brogdon and just pay the money and then trade Bledsoe, right? Like if Because I do think sure. that Brogdon's a better fit for them than Bledsoe, especially in the playoffs. You know, we 
kind of saw that in the Toronto series, right? Like it was a bit of a struggle for Eric. Uh, I wonder if that would have been the move, but that's a risky move. What if you can't get the value commensurate that you need with Eric Bledsoe uh, to make your team better? I, I think that that's a really tough avenue to try and go down. But I think... I don't really have an issue with the decision either way, I guess, is where I'm at. Like, I get why they would not want to pay that money. I also get why they just, if they would have decided to pay the money. Like, it's it's not yeah. an easy choice when you're in Milwaukee. You understand that you're going to have to give Giannis a five-year, $250 million contract offer next year. Uh, and you now have to pay Chris Middleton five years, 178 Uh that is a lot of money for that marketplace. It just is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can make an argument that George Hill can give you a lot of what Malcolm Brogdon could have. Yes. If George Hill is the iteration that we saw down the stretch and it's a more feasible contract. So I think you can argue that one either way. I just think if your philosophy is going all in, just really retain all your assets and go all in. The Bledsoe extension kind of looks a little dicey now. People thought that looked pretty good right when he signed it. And then, of course, he kind of the, the shooting struggles on the playoffs really magnified the issues of this roster. I didn't love the Robin Lopez signing for the, for the room. I, I thought that they could have done better with that, potentially get a shooter, maybe try to lure like a Seth Curry or Reggie Bullock. Just get another guy in there that could shoot the ball. Like, why do you need Robin Lopez in the playoffs? Like, I, I get the connection with Brooke, of course. In the regular season, he can play their scheme defensively, but I, I just think that there was better ways to utilize that space than what they did. It's hard for me to say on that because I need to see more in terms of like, who the people are that are going to sign room extensions around the league, right? Like, or sign, you know, maybe mini mid-levels as well. Like Rodney Hood, I think is one of the best signings so far that I've seen in terms of price point. You know, he gets 11.7 basically for two years. Um, you know, Garrett Temple gets 210. Uh, who else got 210? Ed, Ed Davis got 210, right? Yep. Um, I don't know. Like, I think Robin Lopez is probably better than ed davis to be honest yeah i mean I, I would have just gone a different direction i would have taken garrett temple over robin lopez for that just get another wing who can shoot and play defense like i i just think those guys are more valuable for what the bucks need because that's going to be their core issue like they're going to play lopez at the five or Giannis at the five they're not going to play robin lopez against the best teams in the league and i know of course philly has that big lineup but i just don't think their roster construction works that way like what you want is Giannis in the space floor so he's not going to play an integral role we can see how it plays out but what if like Reggie Bullock goes back to the Lakers on the room exception or something like that yeah. to me is a better deal than this. Well, I wonder, maybe this is just me projecting, but like Robin Lopez, like has occasionally like shown he's flashed the ability to shoot a little bit. I wonder if we see him start to shoot threes with the bucks. I just like wonder if that could be a thing. <laughs> I mean, he can take 18 footers. He's very confident with those. Honestly, he can pick and pop right. a little bit from that range. I'll be skeptical if he ever shot threes, but he has some touch. So maybe it's possible, but yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know. I just don't see the resource allocation being high level here. It also kind of boxes out potentially DJ Wilson getting rotation minutes. If Ursan plays over him in the rotation. So there are some dynamics here where I just thought they could have utilized the room a little bit better just because they're, they're on the margins now. I mean, they have to hit, with some of these lower level contracts get some value out of them and i'm not sure that robin lopez was the way to do that yeah look like i feel like we just kind of shit on milwaukee a little bit more than they deserve like they're still going to be right around 55 to 60 wins next year uh i'm not real concerned about that like i still think they're going to be right there i think that they have a real chance to win the title uh they're going to be right in the mix along with five other teams that have a very legit chance uh another yep. team 
uh, we should move on to Indiana, I think, just because they're a natural connection here. They get Malcolm Brogdon. They get Jeremy Lamb. I think they did about as well as they possibly could have, uh, having to replace Thaddeus Young and Boyan, who signed early in free agency elsewhere. Yeah, and you compare it to what they were potentially getting with Ricky Rubio pairing him next to Oladipo, who's really like their primary creator. I love the fit with Brogdon much more. You get the dynamic spacing off the ball. Brogdon yep. gives you some legitimate secondary creation. So I love the fit between those two. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I also like the Jeremy Lamb signing. Like, Jeremy Lamb was sneaky good last year. Like, he was actually useful for Charlotte. Um, you throw those three in a backcourt uh, with... TJ Warren, like kind of on the wing, is like a three-four guy. You throw uh, Miles Turner, Demonis Sabonis, and Goga Batadze there uh, in the front court. They have Aaron Holiday too, who I really like in the backcourt. Think he's going to be a useful backup point guard for them at least. I think that's a really good team that probably wins like forty-five games next year, maybe like forty-five to fifty games next year, as long as Oladipo comes back. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're a playoff team. They're quality. Oh, the the pieces fit relatively well. I agree with you on Jeremy Lamb's contract. I thought that that was actually pretty reasonable for what he played like last year. I was expecting. Yeah. We heard some. We heard some rumors coming into free agency that he was going to get inflated a little bit. And oh, I, don't I, think I thought that the, it was going to be like three forty-five. <laughs> like I, I thought. Yeah. Like just looking around, like. I, it what other guys sign for i'm surprised it's not that high yeah no i'm 100 percent with you like i you kind of heard some rumors about if you went through the cap sheets and you looked at the space like a guy like Dwayne debman i was like he's getting paid more than people think and i thought that was going to be jeremy lamb and ended up being a pretty reasonable deal yeah no question um I don't, I don't really know do we need to like spend more time on the pacers they're a totally competent team i think that their next question now is what they do at center long term do they decide to move Demonis Sabonis? Do they decide to move Miles Turner? Uh, I think that they could move one of those two and realistically get back a really strong like three four guy uh, to play with a TJ Warren to play with a uh, you know Jeremy Lamb, Victor Oladipo on the wing. I think that that's the route I would personally go. Move one of those two, but I'm also a lot higher on Goga than people are and think that like he can probably play a rotation role next year for them so i will be interested to see if they try to go down that route to round out this roster a little bit more from a fit perspective yeah i'm with that obviously i'm really high on goga as well so i expect him to step in and fill that backup role sabonis i I would think they'll at least explore trading him just because i don't know how tenable that pairing with turner is really going to be just as far as on the floor as as a four five in the playoffs especially but just from a, a signing standpoint as well, cost-wise, long-term, they're not going to be able to probably afford Sabonis um, after this season just with all the other contracts they have committed. Like Their, their big three guys are Oladipo, Brogdon, and Turner now, and th- those are their core three guys moving forward, I think, and I, I don't know how Sabonis really fits into that. Yeah, and let's transition to the Jazz, who I also thought did extraordinarily well, having signed Boyan away from Indiana. Four years, $73 million for Boyan Bogdanovich. What do we think of that deal i think it's probably like slightly inflated but at the end of the day like i think he's like a fucking fantastic fit for them 
Yeah, that's echoing my thoughts. I thought it was a little bit of an overpay, especially in the latter parts of his contract. But the fit around Gobert, and this is kind of what I like about this roster construction, is now they have four guys who can make a play around Gobert. And they have four yeah. guys who can shoot off the catch, a little bit off the dribble. And that's what you're looking for. Like Maybe they they do that same strategy next year to James Harden and, and filtering him to the rim and the same strategy. And then offensively, now they have more firepower. They have more guys who can create. Like That's been their problem in the past. They just don't have secondary guys around Donovan Mitchell who can score. Now you have Conley. You know, I thought that was. A, we talked about that trade as far as the cap. The pick was, eh. As far as value wise, I, I thought maybe they gave up a little too much. But as far as the fit, it's incredible. And then Bodanovich, not a great defensive player, not a great passer. But you can put these guys. You can put him at the four next to Rudy because Rudy can really cover up for almost everyone. I think that's like this is his main quality on defense. Of course, his ability to protect the rim and really cover your ass. So putting all of these guys who can make a play it, next to him, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see. Well, and every single one of those four guys, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, and Boyan Bogdanovich, all of them can run a Compton ball screen. Like, all of them are very good with ball screens. You put that next to Rudy Gobert, who is one of the best vertical floor spacers in the NBA and one of the best screen setters in the NBA, I think that's going to lead to some really creative shit that Quinn Snyder runs. Like, I I think it's going to be an extraordinarily interesting offense. I mean, uh... I want to say that there's a stack going around that, like, I forget who said it. I'm sorry. I do think it's from, like, a second spectrum. Um, that the Jazz had the highest quality of shot last season. Now, part of that is, like, teams went all out to, like, slow down Donovan Mitchell and maybe left some guys open. Uh, so that will just naturally inflate that just based on the way that defenses attack them. But I also think Quinn Snyder runs really good stuff. And I think that with that, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if he can just continue to be extraordinarily creative. And to be honest, I think he will be. I think he's really good at this. 100%. I love Quinn Snyder as a coach. Incredibly good. And he has versatile. He's a versatile roster now. He has, they can, A lot of these guys can play both on and off the ball. It's rare to have those guys who can play and make. All these guys are good off-the-catch shooters. So all these guys who shoot threes off the catch, um, that, that's huge. There's nobody that you feel really comfortable leaving. You know, they're going to have gravity around Gobert. So I think that's big. It's an added element. I liked Ed Davis. I thought that was a very reasonable contract for him. A guy that just, you know, he's good in every situation he's been in. In his role, he he really excels there. So getting him in the regular season, especially, I thought that was a good move. Uh, They also signed, yeah, like you said, Ed Davis, which was great. Uh, Trying to think. They didn't do anything else, right? I, I think that they are legit one of the five contenders to win the title this year. I agree they're in the conversation. I'm not as steadfast as a lot of people saying like they're the favorite in the West. I think I would still actually take Houston over them, but it's very close. It's a good series. Ooh, I man. think that, that, that that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, it, it'd be a fun series. Like I, I think that it's legitimately go either way, but I'd still pick Houston there. I still think they're a little bit better and a little bit more cohesive just because they've had the personnel together. If they can get along, we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. But Utah is in the conversation. I think that is the case with me. It's not necessarily like they're the favorite because they're, they're going to be everybody's favorite pick now because everybody always gravitates towards like the new team and you know getting Conley right. they're going to have a lot of hype and I think that they're in the conversation but they're not separated from the conversation yeah I agree with that uh honestly like Denver is going to be right like Denver and Utah I think are very close and that's not to say that like Utah is like not a title contender I think Denver is pretty much in that mix if they can just add like one guy realistically so uh yeah like they're 
one of the five or six teams. You know what I mean? Like Utah, uh, the Lakers, Houston, the Nuggets, and then in the East. Right now, I feel confident saying Philadelphia and Milwaukee. I don't know if I feel confident about Toronto. I don't think I feel confident about Boston or anyone else. Yeah, that's fair. And I think maybe Portland you could throw in there. Yeah, yes. Yes, you're the right. moves they made, getting ba- getting Bazemore, getting Hood back, I thought those were you know smart moves, and they're gonna have more shooting now. So I think they're at least in the conversation as well. You can throw a lot of different teams in there. I would still, I mean, if the Lakers get Kawhi, I would pick the Lakers. I mean, I'll always take the Stars, so that would be my pick. But if they don't, it's more of a conversation. I still think the Lakers are gonna be better than people think. <laughs> when you pair LeBron and Anthony Davis in the playoffs, that's gonna be a real son of a bitch. Depending on how they fill out the rest of the roster. No, I agree with you. Uh, honestly, like I think there's a real chance they end up with Kawhi. So. <laughs> We will uh, we will see Good what God. what happens there on Monday. Uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, let's just move from Utah to Phoenix. Just natural connection again. Uh, Ricky Rubio signs with the Phoenix Suns, three fifty one. Uh, that is a deal that I would. He helps them a lot. He is definitely like a starting caliber point guard who specifically helps them a lot on defense and specifically helps them a lot in pick and roll to get DeAndre Ayton easier shots. So, like, from a development perspective, I get it. Yeah, and it's just getting an adult in the room. It's getting a proven veteran that has pedigree that can really help these younger guys develop. And that's what they needed. The Suns just need a consistent piece. They shuffled through a bunch of, you know, rookie point guards last year, Tyler Johnson. I think Tyler Johnson is actually pretty underrated. But getting Rubio, is, he's going to help the ecosystem as far as ball movement, as far as teaching these guys potentially how to win we'll see uh i don't think the fit is ideal just because of the lack of shooting i think there are real issues with that so uh we'll kind of see i would really just hope that that third year is like a team option maybe yeah ideally yeah and and it should it bears mentioning i think that they have to make another move to clear enough space to actually sign rubio it seems like yeah a whole day ago that we were doing these projections but we'll kind of see what they have to do there but yeah i I, I viewed Rubio as more of like a two-year guy or maybe like a one-plus-one. One. He's kind of a stopgap, and you just get like a veteran in the room that can help these guys for a year if you can't really find your long-term answer. I didn't necessarily view him as like a three-year guy. You know, $17 million a year, that's a pretty good chunk of change. Like, I think that they're paying full price for this. I thought it would be a little bit cheaper, honestly. Yeah, like I think that uh, I, I would just hope that that third year is not fully guaranteed. Like that's that's all I would say. Um, that's fair. If that's if that's the case, I think this is a pretty good signing. If it is guaranteed, I think that this contract has some downside that makes me a little bit uncomfortable with it. Yeah, I don't think it's great. Like I'm just gonna be clear. Like I don't think it's like a great move by any means. But I can understand the rationale and just getting a veteran in with these guys that can you know, play make a little bit. And I, I think Tyler Johnson can do a little bit of this. So it's not like, to me, it's not like a crazy upgrade. Like Rubio is a better player than Tyler Johnson, but I don't think it's like on a different level, especially building long-term where your core is still Booker with the ball, you know, Aiton maybe in pick and roll. I don't think the Rubio is an ideal fit playing off of that action, but I don't, I don't think this was like a total fuck up of a deal. I don't think it was a terrible deal by any means. It, it doesn't move the needle for me though. So let's move on. Let's go to the, Pelicans. The Pelicans uh, signed J.J. Redick to a two-year, $26 million deal. They signed Nicolo Meli out of Fenerbahce to a two-year, $8 million deal. And then they took on the Derek Favors contract, one year, $15 million from the Jazz, which was a move that they had to make after signing Boyan. Uh, 
these are just three really solid moves. I think all three of these guys can shoot. They need shooting behind or next to Zion. I mean, look, Derek Favors isn't some like phenomenal shooter, but you put Derek Favors back in his natural position of the five. And I think that that is a really, really good fit uh, for what the Pelicans are building. And I think they're a very real playoff contender next year. 100%. I think that David Griffin has been... I, I wasn't really sold on the Jackson Hayes pick. Outside of that, the dude's been a fucking A+. Plus. Like He's been incredible this offseason since taking over. All Hit all the high notes. They needed shooting, get J.J. Redick in there. All the two-man stuff that he can run with Zion Williamson, kind of the Ben Simmons mold. I think that's going to be really awesome offense. And then Favors is just a quality starter. I think he's a really good player still. He was good in the playoffs last year. I thought even at times he outplayed Gobert in that series. Getting him for you know one-year commitment, I, I didn't see what the compensation was. It was supposed to be future picks. Maybe those are second rounders i think that's a fair deal for favors and i just think that he's a guy he's a plug and play starter they didn't have anybody that can really start at the five like jackson hayes isn't going to start night one that's not going to happen julia okafer you don't want starting for you so this can be one of those rare situations where you have young prospects on your team obviously zion's elite you still have lonzo you have brandon ingram but you also have more established players that are good in drew holiday Derek favors so they're on two different timelines along with jj reddick as well they, they just needed several components to their roster to fill it out and i think they did a really good job doing that yeah, and J.J. Redick is just the world's perfect fit with Zion. Like, they needed someone yep. who could just run off of screens, knock down shots. It's absolutely tremendous, I think. Uh, I would imagine that they probably start all of Lonzo, Drew Holiday, and J.J. Redick, don't you think? That's really interesting. Uh, do you think they, they bring Ingram off the bench then? I think more conventional wisdom, maybe they start Holiday and Redick in the backcourt and then Ingram Moore is the conventional three. Do you really want to bring Lonzo off the bench with LeVar in the fold? Like, it's it's a little complicated there. I, I don't know exactly how they go about it, but I, I think for sure that Holiday and Reddick start. Yeah, the reason that I say Lonzo with them is just because they've been so hesitant to toss Drew, like, as the full point guard for whatever reason. Like, he's very capable of doing it. He can do it very easily, I think. But Rajon Rondo, Alfred Payton this year, whenever he was healthy, like, they just, for whatever reason, have this hesitancy to do that. And, you know, I think part of it also is, like, Alvin Gentry likes to have multiple ball handlers who are good rebounders that can go and grab and go on the break and start uh, their transition offense. But, like, I, I would think that all three of those guys, Zion and Derek Favors, is their starting lineup right now. And I, it would be very interesting to me to bring Brandon Ingram off the bench with Josh Hart as like your advantage scorer with like a 3 and D guy next to him. Yeah, I definitely get the rationale. I, I don't honestly know which way they're going to go. E- either way, honestly, wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, again, maybe they rely a little bit more on Williamson to initiate a little bit as far as he can handle the ball. Ingram can handle the ball as well. Like, he can run, yeah. pick, and roll. I don't know if you want him doing that. So they have multiple ball handlers. Very curious to see how they sort it out because they do have – I mean, they, they, have some de- they have some talent on this roster. They have some depth now. So Sacramento re-signs uh... – Harrison Barnes. They sign Dwayne Dedman to a three-year, $40 million contract. They sign Trevor Ariza to... I think that this is probably the worst deal handed out in free agency. It's two years, $25 million, but... You know, the first year... Or the second year is a you know, partial guarantee, I guess? Or is it a full non-guarantee? I, I The last I checked, it was a partial guarantee. So, like, let's assume that it's going to be, like, a low number, like one or two million. Um... Where are you at with this? Like, I think that Deadman fits really well. And I think that, like, you know, you can play him with Marvin Bagley, which is good, uh, just because he can stretch the floor. 
I hated the Trevor Ariza signing. I, you know, I talked <laughs> a lot about the Harrison Barnes signing. Like Trevor Ariza, I thought he was like a room exception guy for a good team this year. Not a guy that gets twenty five million dollars, maybe fifteen of which is guaranteed. Yeah, Aaron Mintz had one hell of a fucking day today. So getting him a two-year deal and getting him $12 million this year, I thought was incredible work. I mean, yeah, I don't Aaron know how has, many people Aaron watched. has D'Angelo Russell and Jerome or Julius Randle, right? Yeah, that's, he's doing his job, man. Uh, I, I mean, Ariza was absolutely horrible on the Suns last year. Like, he just didn't bring it at all. He didn't look like nearly the same caliber of player. Who knows how much of that was the ecosystem, but I do think he's kind of take. He's taking a step off. I don't really love the deal for $12.1 million. Harrison Barnes, at least they put him on a declining um, deal, so de- de-escalates as you move in time. So when you start paying De'Aaron Fox, when they pay Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley eventually, um, it's going to decline in, in value. So that's good, but I don't see really any value in Harrison Barnes at a figure over $20 million a year. I think we probably have some divergent opinions on, on, on him as far as the player quality-wise. I, I To me, it just kind of felt like this, the Kings were like, we need two bigger wings, and we're just going to pay them you know, above what they're really priced. We're going to pay them their market rate, but that's going to inflate it based on positional scarcity. And I think both of those contracts kind of reflect that. Deadman's fine. I, th- I think, again, you're overpaying him a little bit. You at least yeah. have the third year was a partial guarantee, but he can space the floor. He's a good fit next to Bagley as far as being a guy who can space and give Bagley all that room to operate, you know, in those middle confines, which like Colley Stein couldn't do. So I get the fit element there, but I, I, it doesn't move the needle for me either. Well, here's what I would say about Barnes. And we're going to have talk now about Harrison Barnes more on this podcast than maybe any other free agent that signs this year. <laughs> um, big wings that can actually like play a little bit in ISO that are really good spot up shooters and that are good team defenders. Those guys get paid like they just do. Uh, you look across the NBA, A, those guys aren't easy to find. And B, this is just like $20 million for a guy like that is kind of the going rate like if you average 15 points a night shoot 39 percent from three and are a reasonable rebounder and a solid defender like that is a legit like i would call harrison barnes a legit like plus defender not a uh i wouldn't say he's like above average or like i would say i would not say he's like really high above average or even like elite or all nba or anything i'd say he's a plus defender at least those guys are just expensive today i think because they can play multiple positions they can play with any sort of players on the floor together like you can play small with harrison barnes at the floor at the four you can play him with you know marvin bagley and dwayne deadman at the four five he just kind of gives you a lot more than what i think he gets credit for yeah i get definitely the market for sure i mean it's an inefficient market for big wings like if you're not like a legit star that's a market you kind of want to avoid like that's why I think not the same kind of player, but there are some commonalities with him and Tobias Harris and the Clippers getting off of Tobias yeah. before they had to pay him. I thought was really savvy work. Like Barnes is fine. I think on defense he tops out more as average. Like his main quality there is strength and being able to play down and like guard bigger fours at times. Yeah. He's not going to give you much other value there. But fine, I, I, I totally get the argument for knocking down shots. He's a tremendous upgrade over like Justin Jackson, for example, last year as far as what he well, was giving them. You know, in the Kings roster. Go ahead. Well, like, here's here's what I would say. Like, there's a reason that this is an inefficient market, though. That, like, these big wings are, are like, you know, maybe, I don't want to call it, like, small forwards, but, like, maybe, like, bigger forward types get paid. And it's because there aren't a lot of them out there. 
You know what I mean? There's aren't a lot of these guys that kind of do a lot of different things that also are commensurate with like a role player, uh, but in a pinch can help you score. You know what I mean? They're, they're, these guys aren't I, easy to find. I also don't think they're that valuable. Though. That's the thing is like they're scarce, but they don't really contribute to winning most of them. Like that's why I think it's that's just kind of an inefficiency. These, these guys yeah. get paid, but I don't think that they're like they move the needle at all. I think that's kind of one of the dynamics of roster building that's being a little overinflated in the modern game. But I, the, the Barnes deal, like how much better? Okay, this is really going to get you. How much better do you think Harrison Barnes is than Jeff Green? Like he's better, but how much better? Like degree? I would say a lot better because of the defense. Okay, so. Like, but let's say Jeff Green gets a minimum contract. Who would you rather have, Jeff Green at the minimum or Harrison Barnes at the average rate of, let's say, like $21 million? Hmm. <laughs> See, that's actually close for me because Harris, like, I think that people underrate Harrison Barnes and his ability to like fit into a role and be like a difference maker as a role player. Uh, the decision-making and the passing just isn't quite quick enough, but he has everything else as a role player. Uh, he has the ability to legit be a spot-up shooter now. He's not just like a fake shooter anymore. He is a legit yeah. like spot-up shooter who can knock down shots now. He is like, a, like let's even just call him an average defender. I think I would just rather have the guy that is good uh, than Jeff Green. <laughs> it's a fair argument. I, I think that he's definitely fire. I'm out on my balcony <laughs> now and someone just shot off fireworks. So that's fun. <laughs> There you go. Um, I, I, there's definitely an argument for it. I, I just think when you factor in the money, it, it's an interesting conversation. I, I, again, I just think yeah. this is a player type that gets a little bit overinflated in the market, and I think the Kings paid that full price. I, I just don't see – Barnes has never really moved the needle. Like He was fine on Golden State when he could guard bigger forests. Like His strength was really needed next to Draymond to unlock those smaller lineups. I thought that was pretty integral. And I'm with you on the shooting. Like Catch and shoot, he's going to be useful for the Kings in that role. And the Kings, they get flamed by bigger wings. I just don't think that Harrison Barnes is some kind of wing stopper either, but at least has positional size in the regular season so when you start adding up all of like the value added components here i just don't think it's there but i i understand the philosophy and i understand that the league values these guys more than i do well hey let's transition from one big <laughs> wing to 17 big wing forward types uh the orlando magic it. basically ran back uh, a seven seed by retaining nikola vucevic for what is the final number on that is it four years a hundred? Is it four ninety? Do we know? I think it's four hundred. So they ran back Vucevic. Uh, they ran back Terrence Ross at four fifty three. I believe four fifty four. Oh maybe uh, that's. I mean, Terrence can shoot. Like I'll give him that. Like I thought he was probably going to get a little bit less than that. Like I thought that Terrence would probably get. Okay, I'll say this. I did not think there was a world where Terrence Ross would get more than the mid-level exception. I am with you. That This was one of the, the deals that really legitimately surprised me, not necessarily from like an expectation standpoint, because, again, the league values these wing shooter types, but th the number was pretty high. Like I, I think you can, you can sign Wayne Ellington, and he can give you a lot of what Terrence Ross gives you. Not as athletic, but still the off-movement shooter. You can get this skill set, I think, for a more, in a more cost-effective way. He is going to get paid more than Danny Green, and I'm going to lose my mind. That's, an, that's insane to me. That's literally insane. Just, like, look at the money that's out there, though. Like, there's, like Danny Green is probably going to get the mid-level from someone. 
I would think, uh, be it the Lakers, be it, you know, or the Lakers don't have the mid-level, they have the room, but like he's going to get something commensurate with the mid-level, I would think. And it's just going to make me lose my mind that Terrence Ross is going to get more than him. Um, and then they signed Al Farouk Aminu because anytime that you have Aaron Gordon, <laughs> Jonathan Isaac, Chuma Okiki, Melvin Frazier, um, let's also throw Nikola Vucevic and Mo Bamba and Ken Birch into this mix too. That's seven guys who play the four and the five basically exclusively at this stage. Um, despite Orlando's best efforts to put uh, Aaron Gordon is like a three and Jonathan Isaac is a three. So it's just crazy to me. It's, I, I don't know what they're doing. It's crazy to me, one, how Danny Green always seems to be a fucking value in, in trades, in free agency. It's just wild that he's he ends up on winning teams all of the time, but he's always underpaid and he's always undervalued in trades. It's crazy. But yeah, I think for a roster building standpoint with the Magic, a lot of imbalance. They're very heavily skewed, and that's an understatement towards the four and five positions. They don't have the perimeter creators. And you just look down this roster. It's like you have Vucevic. You just invested the number six pick in Mo Bamba. I really like Kem Burks. I think he can be a value for a team looking for a backup center. But like, how is like Aminu and these guys fitting into this construct? Like, I think Aminu is actually a good value. Like getting him for the non-taxpayer MLE, I thought actually it's a pretty damn reasonable trade. You know, it, I mean, uh, signing. But it's like on this roster, it's a kind of the same. It's a different iteration of the Okiki draft pick. I like the player, but I don't like the fit. Yeah, basically, I'm with you there. Uh, th- it's just weird to me that they're running back a seven seed in just like trying to add on the margins it positions that they don't really need to add. Like to me, betting on Al Farouk Aminu versus trying to go out and get like a point guard, right? Like a Patrick Beverly, who we'll talk about in a second here. It says to me almost that like they want to bet on Markel Fultz. Like, like they think that they either have a real answer with DJ Augustine, or they think that maybe Markel can be their actual answer. Yeah, and he's going to have to be. The way this roster is constructed, they need Markel to hit. And who knows? We've talked about this in past podcasts. Nobody knows what the hell to expect from Markel at this point. But, man, they need him to hit. The Bulls really need Kobe White to hit with how that roster is constructed. There's different teams that just need those initiators. And this team is not going to move until you get that. Like I thought DJ Augustine had a really good season last year, but he can't carry you in the playoffs. He's going to get engulfed by athleticism. That happens every year. Really good player, but he's not a starting caliber, you know, high-level perimeter creator. He can't be your number one perimeter guy. It, it, you're just not going to get anywhere with that. Let's talk real quick about Beverly. Uh, three years, $40 million from the Clippers. That seems like a pretty good number to me. Like, that's what he's worth. Yep, no objection here. I think that he's definitely worth that. And we kind of, a lot of people thought he was going to get the mid-level. And he's another one of those guys where you look at how the market breaks out. And you look at the point guard position, you're like, no, he's getting more than that. <laughs> like, you get down the list and he's like the fourth guy on it. It's like, this guy's getting paid over $10 million a year. So I thought that was, this was fine value. Well, here, like, would you rather have Patrick Beverly or Ricky Rubio? Patrick Beverly. Yeah, I agree with you. I would rather have Patrick Beverly. Um, would you rather have Patrick Beverly or who are some of the other point guards that signed today? Uh, would you rather have Beverly or Terrence Ross? He's not a point guard, but Terrence Ross. Easily Beverly. Agree. Would you rather have Beverly or Trevor Ariza? Beverly. And wh- wh- who would you rather have? Would you have the Beverly or would you have Terry Rozier? Beverly, not even a question to me. Yes. Um, and he's so that's got a, that's another point, yeah. $7 million a year less than what Terry Rozier got. All right, next question. Would you rather have Beverly at his number or Malcolm Brogdon at his number? Beverly. Me too. 
because there's like there have been reports about this as well but like there are teams that are worried about brogdon's medicals long term yep and i think that you know beverly's he's just really solid man like he's someone who i thought if the lakers struck out with Kawhi, maybe they pursue and kind of align him with danny green potentially lebron can't carry the full playmaking duty so that's going to be kind of an issue long term but I, I think beverly's just really solid like you know what you're getting with him and he fills a valuable role and i think it you know 12 million a year 13 million a year that's fine yep totally agree um let's let's see who who else do we have to talk about other than the knicks i'm, I'm saving the knicks for last <laughs> we're, we're gonna finish on a comical note um i mean like gerald green and daniel house resign with houston that's fine uh yeah washington like resigned thomas bryant to a number that is worth considerably more than what i thought was useful. I like the Rodney Hood deal a lot with Portland. Demar Carroll for part of the mid-level to San Antonio, I thought was a really good signing. Um, is that it? Derek Can Rose we... to the Pistons was he sure. like two fifteen? Derek Rose, yeah, okay, sure. Um. <laughs> I'm not going to think much about that because like there's just not much of a reason to think about the Pistons right now. Um, yeah, we talked about Garrett Temple, Valanci Unis uh, to Memphis along with Iguodala, like. They have a lot of money tied up next year, but books are probably going to be pretty clean after next year because they get off of Iguodala, get off of um, uh, Chandler Parsons, uh, and you know obviously they're building around a younger team. Three forty-five is probably more than I would want to pay for Valanciunas, but it's not a disaster. I agree. I, I think it's a little bit rich for my blood, but it's not four years. I think I would have liked two years. I get the allure of him in the regular season next to Jaron. You don't want Jaron amassing all of those you know, physical bumps against the most physical centers in the league. So having a guy who's kind of versatile, you, you have some different versatile lineups like Valanciunas can guard the bigger behemoths, and then you can bring Brandon Clark in off the bench. I, I like what Memphis is doing overall. I think the trade for Iguodala yeah. showed me that they are astute. They understand value, and you know, getting a pick for Iguodala, and they can flip him now too. So I, I think that they have their shit together. But I agree with you overall. I think that you know, three forty-five. It's not a terrible deal but for Valanciunas. This is probably more than I would have paid. Yeah, and they did a really smart thing to using the Mike Conley trade exception to yes. trade. Uh, for essentially that first round pick with Iguodala. Um, I do think that that's everyone that is a major free agent outside of the Knicks decisions. So let's, let's talk about the Knicks. I feel bad for Knicks fans. I really do. Um, the Knicks sign, they missed out on all of the like max guys. They signed Julius Randall to a three year, $63 million deal. That is a team option in year three. They signed Taj Gibson to a 220. They signed Bobby Portis to a 231. And they signed Reggie Bullock here at 221. That is what, uh, like 50 million, something like that, uh, in terms of like year by year salary over the course of the next two years. Uh, this is just a lack of planning to me. Um, there is no no discernible long-term direction here. Uh, what the Knicks should be doing is doing what Memphis just did, right? The Knicks could have very yep. easily taken on the Andre Iguodala contract and got a 2024 first-round pick from the Warriors. Instead, they decided to sign Bobby Portis to a 221. I would rather have Andre Iguodala plus the first-round pick – if only because 
you know, Bobby Portis here, who I think is good. Like, I, I actually think 231 is not a disaster for Bobby Portis. Uh, it's probably uh, on a year by year basis, you know, 15 and a half million for Bobby Portis is too much. But there are worse deals that were signed today than Bobby. Um, the problem is that they have Bobby Portis for two years. They're not going to be a playoff team in the next two years. You're not going to get anything on the trade market really for Bobby Portis because while he's unlikely to get, you know, a, like $25 million a year or whatever, you still are only going to be able to trade his early bird rights to a team. So my my concern here is just like they aren't actually getting any players or any assets that are going to be on the next like New York Knicks winner. There's no long-term value being derived here. So you get if you go the Iguodala route, you're at least getting a pick with team control, right? You're getting an asset that has 8 years in all likelihood of team control. Now you're just getting like they haven't looked anything more than 2 years down the road which is the 2021 free agency class, which is expected to be like the next big free agency class, right? So it's just, they're going down this road of setting themselves up to have cap space again in 2021 and probably just fucking strike out again in 2021. Like they need to stop doing this. They need to start building a culture that is positive. They need to start trying to win basketball games Uh or like just lose them to the extent that they totally bottom out and end up with more guys like RJ Barrett. Uh, signing Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, Reggie Bullock, and Taj Gibson, that probably takes them out of the bottom tier of the NBA. Like that legit probably sets them up to win what? 30 games next year, something like that, just because they have actual offensive talent. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I I don't even know where to start with these guys. I mean, there's so many problems to the process as far as how they carried this out. First, Golden State should have known to call the Knicks. This is something that Hinky was really good at. You don't have to go full process and be like, we're tanking. But Golden State's first call, if they wanted to deal Iguodala, should have been to the Knicks and been like, okay, here's the pick. You have to do that. That, that, that you just have to set yourself up that way. So the process there was incredibly flawed. I think the second part is you touched on the contract structure for two years. What is the upside to these deals? You're paying them. I mean, I'm a little lower on both Randall and Porus than you are, but you're paying them. I think you would even argue you're paying them near their full amount or even over. Like you're not. Oh getting no, any they're paying them over both of their <laughs> amounts. Is someone okay. who is much higher on both of those guys than most people are they're paying them over their like what they're worth so that is again that's a flawed process as well because you're not getting surplus value in those contracts you're not getting the benefit of them being alluring as a trade asset to another team like if they traded portis they like early bird rights fine you can sign him to 175 percent of his previous deal he's not going to get more than that anyway but like the point is like is that going to be valuable are you creating something that you can get a better asset down the road and they're not they're paying them over market price to what accomplish what like what are they doing I, they're both younger players maybe you, you think they have some hypothetical upside in certain capacities but they they aren't like knockdown shooters Porus can shoot a little bit better than he gets credit for but are they really helping are they helping rj barrett are they helping kevin knox if the, the Knicks are still hell, like hell-bent on like improving him and, and developing him over time like what are they really doing for this team both short term and long term you know what the funny thing is so like julius randall is ostensibly the best player they signed today I actually wouldn't 
the Taj Gibson one is just weird and is eludes me in terms of why they would do that. But if they would have just signed Bobby Portis and Reggie Bullock today, I and then like decided, hey, we're going to use the rest of our cap space to just take on distressed assets and pick up first round picks and pick capital to help us long term. I would have been okay with that because it would have said, hey, what we're doing is we are trying to create a modicum of floor spacing around RJ Barrett and Dennis Smith and seeing what we have in those guys. Julius Randle and Taj Gibson like don't help that at all. So it yes. just seems directionless to me. It seems like... I mean, like, we've been saying this about the Knicks for years, but, like, what the fuck are they doing? They, what they ended up doing here is they traded Kristaps Porzingis so that they could use their cap space to sign two years of Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, and Taj Gibson, and Reggie Bullock. Uh, that's just not useful. Like, <laughs> I understand that you got things in addition to trading Porzingis, but just fucking... Just call Porzingis' bluff. Like... Do you really think Christos Porzingis is about to be out here turning down 158 million? I don't care what Christoph said to you. I don't care what Giannis, <laughs> his brother, his agent said to you. Do you really think that coming off of an ACL injury, this dude is going to turn down 158 million to sign a qualifying offer when he's been in and out of the lineup for his first four years? Just call the bluff. Yeah, and I'm with you on the contracts. I think Reggie Bullock, for what they got him, I'm fine with that. Because we talk all the time about optimizing younger players. So if you're not going to sign guys that really help you, help sign guys that help develop your players. Put them in positions to succeed. Bullock does that. Portis is a, you know, an underrated shooter, 39% last year or whatnot. Doesn't pass, doesn't play defense, but you're like, fuck it. Like, at least he can space the floor and he gives driving lanes to R.J. Barrett, which he's going to need. Because in, in this scheme, in this system, it looks like he's not going to have a lot of it. So that's that's an issue. But you just have to have some kind of strategy, some kind of approach that is consistent. And, and there's just, like you said, the Taj Gibson signing. What is he doing for you? Like, okay, he's a veteran presence. He's a hard worker going home or whatnot. But is he really helping your roster at all? Is he helping develop Mitchell Robinson or whatnot? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really no, see the value do, there. Do you know what he's doing for Mitchell Robinson? He's reducing Mitchell Robinson's playing time. <laughs> Which is wild because he, uh, to me, he's probably their best prospect. I know that's kind of well, – sorry, second best prospect behind RJ now. But before he was their, their best prospect. So I, it's tough. Like, There's no consistent approach to this team. There's nothing that really makes consistent sense. And it sucks for the fans. I think Knicks fans are my favorite fan base in the league. And to, continue, to continually fall short and, you know, of course, they struck out with – Katie and and Kyrie, that's really tough. I mean, this was supposed to be their operational area. <laughs> like they were supposed to get these guys. If they want to go to New York, you play at the Garden. You go to New York. So not only did they get slighted there, but then to to proceed this way when you could have again taken Iguodala, you could have flipped Iguodala. We're hearing reports now that Iggy, Iggy might get bought out by Memphis or whatnot. Who knows? They're probably gonna they could easily trade him if they needed to. But you, the, the Knicks could have traded Iguodala to the Lakers if the Lakers struck out on Kawhi Leonard. You know what I mean? You could have gotten more assets. So I just don't see they're not winning on the margins. There's absolutely whiffing on the margins. They're not even winning really with a coherent strategy overall. Yeah, the the move here for the Knicks would have been take guys like Andre Iguodala, take guys like. Alan Crabb, you know, et cetera, and taking first round picks that have actual long-term value and uh, making those guys and just getting additional assets. Right. I, I, I just don't know how they don't see that as the strategy for them. It just doesn't make sense to me at all. Anyway, there's no reason to like 
beat a dead horse into the ground. The Knicks are a mess, and everyone knows it. Uh, the last deal that we'll finish on is one that I just uh, Cole recognized and made me realize that I missed. Um, Thaddeus Young to the Bulls, three years, fifty-one. Is that the is that the number three fifty-four, something like that? Yeah, I thought it was three forty-one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's three forty-one. I was I'm okay. very off. It's three forty-one. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I, I really like the player. I'm not sure about the fit as far as long term. Again, like Bulls have very good prospects in their front court, Lowry, Wendell. But I do think Thaddeus can kind of play in between those guys and give them a third big in that fashion. So I didn't think it was a bad deal. I think Thaddeus Young is underrated. I think he's a really good defensive player, fits their kind of ecosystem as far as like that tough-minded defensive ability. So I, I didn't mind it too much. The only thing is maybe opportunity costs. Like maybe they're a team that could have gotten in on Goran Dragic, for example. They need like a, a current point guard a guy who can initiate offense uh, if kobe white's not ready so i think from an opportunity cost standpoint maybe you can argue that but i, I didn't mind this deal i actually think this is going to be one of my favorite deals of free agency sure I, I am like a really really big thaddeus young fan this is a team that badly needs defense like they needed another guy who could step in and be a plus defender uh he also fits really well with the two centers that they have because the two centers can shoot it uh and auto porter can shoot it uh, and Zach Levine yep. can shoot it and Kobe White can shoot it. So like they can play a lot of lineups where he's the lone non-shooter on the floor. He's also an excellent screen setter. He's an excellent cutter off the ball. Really, really good in the dunker spot. Then you throw in the fact that he's such a high level defender who's multi-positional. He can defend. He's strong. He is quick on his feet. Uh, I really like this. I really, really like the signing. I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, I think Chicago <laughs> did exceptionally well to get Thaddeus Young here. I think, honestly, Chicago is a little underrated as far as their front. They get killed all the time, and there's rightfully so for some of the moves, but they've done pretty well in the draft. I wasn't a huge fan of the Kobe White pick, but Lowry at 7, Wendell at 7. Trading for Otto Porter was a really shrewd move, in my opinion, yeah. as, as far as roster construction. And then Thaddeus Young, I think this is a good deal. I'm with you. I'm not sure if I'm quite as high, but I'm high. Like I think it's a good deal. Yeah, like... He just really helps them in terms of like versatile lineups that they can play. They can play him at the four next to Otto Porter and a center. They can like, or either of their centers, I think, can play with him at a high level. Um, you could realistically play both Lowry and Wendell with him at the three, I think, uh, because both of those other two guys can shoot it. Uh, and because Lowry, you can run off of like ball screen or off of, uh, you know, baseline screens and pin downs you can like actually do some interesting things with him off the ball so you can put Thaddeus Young in the dunker spot as like a three man um, and run screen and roll with you know your point guard and one five screen and roll with Kobe White for instance and Wendell Carter have Lowry running off screens and then put Thaddeus Young in the dunker spot like these are things that actually kind of work on a lot of levels together for me. Yeah, I, I definitely get the allure. I'm a little scared they're going to play him a lot at the three. I, I don't really know if that's that realistic to expect, uh, just from a skill level perspective. Th same thing with the Sixers as far as what we talked about. With You have enough guys on the floor. Like Even Lowry. Lowry can shot make a little bit off the dribble. He's okay at that. Wendell, that's not his game. Thaddeus, not really his game. So I think you start to scale down too much in skill. That can be an issue, but I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that's going to be – they still have Porter. He's going to play the majority of minutes at the three. So I think it's yeah. going to work. I, I think it's a fine deal. It, it just comes down, again, to me, opportunity costs. And I think I would rather have – have Drag Dragic than I would Young. I think that Young's probably the better player, but I just think they need a point guard so bad that I might have punted. If, if that could have been the guy I got in for a year, I think that might have been worth it. Yeah, I get that. I do get that from an opportunity cost perspective. Um, is there anyone else? Did we miss anyone else? 
I think maybe just talk about the Mavericks really quick and kind of what they've done. They haven't really done anything yet. They're, we don't know if Olenek's going to go there, if Dragic, whatnot. I, I do think that this is going to be important how it plays out with a guy like Maxi Kleba, who this is a Maxi Kleba-friendly account and podcast. So yeah. I, are, I really are we the world's like, like biggest Maxi Kleba <laughs> podcast? I think so. This is a Zaire Smith, Maxi Kleba podcast. So, uh, yeah, I, I would assume that isn't too mainstream, but I'm kind of curious to see what he works out as far as using his early qualifying rights at low cap hold and bringing in someone like Kelly Olenek might complicate that just because, of course, they gave the extension to Dwight Powell. Maybe that's a talking point is the value of that. I, I do think Powell in his role is pretty pretty good i don't know if he's worth that and i don't really value what he does to a high level but good fit with porzingis and they of course they maxed out porzingis what do you think about that <laughs> high risk uh very very high risk but as soon as they made the deal for him it was a move that they were always going to make agreed my one reservation is apparently and allegedly just on twitter they never looked into the injury exception that was utilized on guys in the past like Embiid. i think yeah. that should have been explored just for protection you're already maxing a guy out so like i, I think that they should have done that. that that's my only hold up you were always giving them the max after you made this trade but i think i would have been a little bit more diligent about um injury protection yeah i agree with that i think that that would have been a better move for them but you know what at the end of the day like if they would have gotten some injury protection just in terms of like, you know, the first three years guaranteed, the back two, you know, somewhat non-guaranteed, if only due to like a games played number, like that's better for them. But I'm not going to like hand ring over it right now. Uh, he's a very talented player. His fit with Luka Doncic should be exceptional. What did you think of the Dwight Powell signing? Because that's one thing that like Mavs fans got all up in my ass about. Like they <laughs> did not like the fact that I was less excited about Dwight Powell. Yeah, I mean, I think Powell's fine. I mean, he's really good at what he does as a rim runner, lob catcher. He fills the spaces that Porzingis doesn't occupy in the floor. So he's a good fit offensively, good rebounder in certain respects. So I, I get the fit. I just don't know if I value his skill set that high. Like, I think Maxi Kaliba is a better player than he is. And you, for me, I look at the roster construction and the resource allocation, and you're paying Porzingis, you're paying Powell, you might pay Olenek, depending if this trade goes through. You might pay Kaliba. You're going to pay all that money to four or fives. That's where I kind of just say, you know, maybe Dwight Powell's the odd man out there. Yeah, he would have been the odd man out for me, for sure. Uh, I'm with you. I would probably rather have Maxi Kleba than Dwight Powell. I would probably also rather have um, Kelly Olenek than Dwight Powell. Like I, I, I get that people think that Porzingis and Powell are a very good fit offensively because they are. Um, Powell's ability to put vertical pressure on the rim uh, is particularly important for Dallas and for Luka Doncic because what that does is it creates a situation where you can't allow Powell to get any sort of downhill momentum because like on deep or on defense, you can't do that. So you basically have to tag him from the weak side every single time, or you have to like tag him, then recover as quickly as possible. And Doncic is so good at that cross corner pass. He's so good at picking out where the defense is coming from with that tag that it creates more offense than just when Powell is rim running and catching lobs, right? 
So like yep. having that guy is really valuable. My problem is, and this is where Mavericks fans got super angry with me. I don't want Dwight Powell <laughs> chasing around fours. Like I get the fact that he did it this year, but this was not a good defense this year. Like, I think that he is just not quite laterally quick enough. Like people think that he has good athleticism and he does. He's very fast. He can jump high, but like his lateral agility and like change of direction is not super great. Yeah. I just don't think he's a high enough level team defender. Honestly, like his recognition, like he can cover ground and it's more like his recognition to me. He's not the best in that respect and not not the level that they need. I mean, Porzingis is very good as, as a kind of a drop rim protector. Um, obviously, the length. And I think like someone like Kleber, for example, really complements Dallas's roster defensively. I mean, you're going to have issues with Luka at times, and you need guys that can kind of pick up the slack. This is what Memphis has done a really good job of you know, insulating John Morant. I, I think that you have to kind of look at those high-level team guys. And, and Powell's never really been that to me. Uh, <laughs> Mike Vorkanoff just uh, reminded me of something. The Knicks uh, decided to stretch Joakim Noah in large part to create cap space for this summer and now have to oh, deal Jesus. with paying $6.4 million, uh, until the summer of 2022. Yeah, I totally blanked on the stretch. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is bad. Like, it never made sense to stretch Joakim Noah. No, we Noah. talked about that on the podcast, yeah. I have... Oh my god, I can't, man. I can't. I can't with the Knicks right now. Uh, let's Cole. Let's end this. We've been going for two hours now. There's too. There's too much stuff that happened today. It was just a way bananas day in every way. Yeah, and then tomorrow, of course, we get Kawhi Gate, and we'll kind of see how that plays out. If it does play out tomorrow, you have guys like Broussard tweeting that he's going to the Lakers and all, all and of this stuff. And then you have guys so. like Broussard saying he's going somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> man, I was going to be a. <laughs> How about Broussard, man? Chris Broussard. Something else. The funniest thing in the world to me was, oh, yeah, Kevin Durant, he's going to the Nets. Oh, no, wait, I've got one person telling me he's going back (laughs) to the Warriors. Oh, wait, no, he's going to the Nets. We're good. Oh, my. That was the most legendary (laughs) set of, like, three tweets in a row. I was losing my mind. Yeah, secret winner of the day is probably Mark Stein. This is a Mark Stein account. On Twitter, I, I love Mark Stein. So him getting into the action and, and really being at the forefront of a lot of this shit, it was uh, that was entertaining for me. Broussard, uh, you take or leave him, but uh, <laughs> you never really know who to trust. Sometimes this time of year, everybody has these ancillary sources. But I think tomorrow is going to be crazy with Kawhi. We'll kind of see how that plays out. He's supposed to make a decision, right? Tomorrow. Uh, it was also with Kawhi. I was told like Monday, Tuesday to me. Got it. Um, it doesn't seem like he's rushing, but you know what? I got told that about Kevin Durant uh, before Kevin Durant <laughs> signed right at 6 o'clock. So I don't know, man. Uh, this has been fun, though. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Um, I don't know. It's like 1130 here, man. I'm tired. We, I got to go to bed. Uh, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.